Well, lots we get to celebrate today, including mothers. So, Mother's Day. This morning we get to celebrate moms, and we our favorite moms to celebrate are those who've been moms for the longest. And so we have flowers for any ladies here who've been moms for, let's start with 50 years. Anybody here been a mom for 50 years? Raise your hand. We've got a flower for you, right? Oh yeah, we've got some. Okay, back there, up here. Okay, leave your hands up. Deacons are coming around with flowers. Yeah, we're we're excited, moms, to have you with us here today. It's a funny day because we celebrate moms and we celebrate our graduating seniors because this is the end of the road for you. So you're graduating and that's exciting and, and you worked incredibly hard, you did well, and now your reward is that you get to go work for the rest of your life. So, well done. <laughs> The good news is they pay you rather than you having to pay. So we're excited for you. Uh, Graduating seniors and actually all of you college students, before you leave town, let me make a shameless plug for our furniture giveaway that we're going to be doing in August. We collect furniture to give to incoming international students when they get here in August. So you've got a lot of stuff. Some of it we don't want because it's nasty, but some of it isn't. You've got some furniture that's still decent, household appliances, working bicycles. If you're willing to give those to us, we'll store them for the summer and then we will give them to an international student when they arrive here stateside in August. This is actually probably the most significant evangelistic thing our church does. It's an incredible opportunity to show Jesus's love to people, a lot of whom don't even know the name of Jesus yet. So if you have stuff you could give us, furniture, household appliances, working bicycles that are in decent shape, you can just drop them off over at the Anderson campus, the college auditorium from 4 to 7 p.m. on Thursday or Friday or Saturday anytime from noon to four. Just show up, drop them off. If you have any time that you could give us, we need volunteers during those days, so Thursday, Friday, Saturday, to collect the furniture and bicycles and everything and put them into storage. So if you have some time and could help us before you leave town, just email biggiveaway at grace-bible.org and we'll give you the information about that. So we'd love to have your help with that. Well, this week was a bit of a challenge because I need to speak God's word to two very different groups of people. Moms and graduating seniors. It's always irked me a little bit that A&M puts finals on Mother's Day. It's like the most unmotherly thing ever. <laughs> All these students who are supposed to be taking their moms out to lunch and instead you're stuck in Evan's library. That's just not right. It's a bad bull, but it's the cards we're dealt. So <laughs> we're, we're going to work with it. So what does God want to say to these very different groups of people? Well, I prayed about it a lot this week, and what I felt burdened to speak about was freedom. I feel like both groups, both moms and graduating seniors, and in, in reality, all of us, we need to hear a message of freedom. We're Americans, we live in the land of the free, and yet so few of us live free lives. We're burdened, we're weighed down, we're imprisoned by a lot of things. And when you think about all the things that weigh us down, that that imprison us, I think the big three, the three that I come across most often in counseling people in crisis, guilt, fear, and isolation. We are a people weighed down by guilt, by fear, and by isolation. I can pretty much guarantee that every person in this room has or will at some point deal with at least one of these. These are the things that keep you up at night. These are the things that that steal joy and energy and excitement from your life. 
And so this morning, what I want us to do is spend some time discovering freedom from guilt, from fear, and isolation. These, these three, these are, like, these are like mosquitoes this time of year. They're always looking for you. No matter what you do, they're always around. I want to give you some biblical help this morning, some truths from the Word of God, and some practical advice that can help you to find freedom from guilt, from fear, and from isolation. So let's jump in. We're going to start with guilt. How do you find freedom from guilt? Well, whenever you feel guilty, what I want you to do, for each of these, I'm going to give you a verse, a key verse that I want you to write down and I want you to read it. And if you're willing, I want you to memorize it. It's kind of your, your key verse, your, your, your help in a time of need. And so when you feel guilty, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation, that's a judicial term. It pictures a courtroom where God is the judge. To be condemned as he, he slams the gavel on the bench and says, you are guilty. But Paul says, for everyone who is in Christ Jesus, we are not condemned. There is no legal guilt that God holds over those who are in Christ. But who's in Christ? Well, In Christ Jesus is just Paul's shorthand way of referring to believers. It's anyone who's trusted in Jesus. If you have chosen to believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died for your sins and rose from the dead to give you eternal life as a gift, then you're in Christ. If you haven't yet trusted in Jesus, if there's something holding you back from that, then then you, you are still guilty in the sight of God. Because you've sinned, but that can be fixed right now. All you need to do is believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead to give you life. If there's something keeping you from believing, please come talk to me or or Trey or Jason or anyone here. We'd love to talk to you about that. For all of us who have trusted in Jesus, the verse is clear. There's no condemnation, not a little condemnation, none at all. No legal guilt that God holds over you. That idea is reiterated in Hebrews 10, verse 14, another key verse to write down and memorize. It says, by, for by one offering, he, that is Jesus, has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Sanctified, that's a fancy way of talking about how God separates us from the world. Sanctified means set apart. Here it's talking about all believers. Everyone who is trusted in Jesus as their savior, God has sanctified you. He has set you apart from the world to be his child. And the verse says that everyone who's been sanctified, that is all believers, have been perfected. That, that tense there, has perfected, that, that, that tense is important. I know tense, grammar, that's not the kind of thing you want to think about in the middle of finals week. But sometimes grammar matters. And, and in the Bible, when you see this particular type of verb, when it, when it starts with has or have, it means it's what we call past perfect tense. And that refers to something that happened in your past that continues to be true today. In your past, you were perfected by God. The moment you trusted in Jesus, God perfected you in his sight. That continues to be true today. Today you are perfect. That will continue to be true in the future. Forever you will be perfect in the sight of God. Now, yes, you sin. You do things that are wrong, and yet that doesn't change the fact that in God's sight, you are already perfect. 
perfect. You don't have to work for perfection. You don't have to try to grow to be more perfect and accepted in the sight of God. You are already completely perfect if you've trusted in Jesus. That's the theological reality. You are not condemned. You are not legally guilty in the sight of God. That's the theological truth, but now the practical reality. We still feel guilty a lot of the time. A lot of us feel guilty, not just occasionally, but we go through life. Whoa. (laughs) That's a good response to that. (laughs) Well, my mic's back on, so we're going to keep going. (laughs) All right, there, you got lights, so. All right. Okay, let's set the the mood again, because I got to get back to where I was. (laughs) That's always exciting here at Southwood. So, the theological reality. You're not guilty in the sight of God, period. However, we all feel guilty from time to time. We feel a sense of shame or remorse. Regret, that's what guilt is. You feel regret because of something you did. Maybe you did something bad, you know you shouldn't. Or you didn't do something good that you knew you should do. And so... You feel guilt, and that feeling of guilt steals the joy out of life. I I like to compare guilt to hiking in Colorado with a 50-pound backpack. And we're Texans. We're flatlanders. So you put us in Colorado at 12,000 feet, and we're dying just to breathe. But then you put a heavy backpack on us, and we're really struggling. I I hiked Maroon Bells area of of Colorado many years ago, and I remember arriving. We drove up to about 12,000 feet, and the first day we hiked five miles into the park with 50-pound packs on. And it was excruciating. It was painful. There was nothing enjoyable about it. But then we set up base camp, and the next day, I took a hike that was actually even harder, and yet it was awesome, because I didn't have to carry anything except my water, because I'd set up base camp. Everything stayed there, so I'm walking around with only like five pounds. I was like on air. Guilt is like that 50-pound pack. It steals all the joy, all the peace, all the contentment out of your life. So let's get practical for a moment. What should you do when you feel guilty? The theological reality is God doesn't, uh, there is no guilt between you and God. What do you do when you feel guilty? Well, I'm going to give you some practical advice. When you feel guilty, you just can write this down. They might be able to get the PowerPoint back up. When you feel guilty, the key question you have to ask yourself is, is this guilt from God? This guilt that I feel in my soul, is it from God? The answer is yes, if and only if that feeling of guilt is over some disobedience to a command from God in Scripture. Okay, so you did something you know from the Bible God didn't want you to do, or you didn't do something that you know from the Bible God wanted you to do, and you have not confessed that to God yet, and you feel guilty. That is a form of guilt we call conviction. It's when God convicts our soul because we've done wrong. It's a gift God gives us to show us we've made a bad choice. The good news about that form of guilt, that conviction, is that it can be gone in an instant. All you have to do to get rid of conviction is what? Just confess. Just confess your sin to God. It tells us in 1 John 1, 9... 
If we confess our sins, he that is God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To confess your sins is just to say to God, yes, God, I agree. You're right, I was wrong. I did the wrong thing. I'm sorry about that. Please forgive me. The moment that you confess that, according to 1 John 1, 9, in that instant, not even a microsecond passes, God cleanses you. Not of a little of the sin, but of all of it. You are completely cleansed by God. Here's what that means. The moment you confess your sin to God, he cleanses you. The guilt is gone. The conviction is gone. You are free. I think it's important for people to understand that life is not a hockey game. Most people think of life as a hockey game. You do something wrong, where does the ref put you? In the penalty box. God's not a ref. He does not put you in a penalty box. The moment you confess your sins to God, he puts you back out on the ice. You're forgiven. You're cleansed. So if you still feel guilty after confessing your sin, that guilt's not from God. The only guilt that comes from God is conviction over some disobedience to the word of God you've not yet confessed. Every other form of guilt is not from God. It's from God's enemy. Every other feeling of guilt is from Satan. That includes guilt over something that you have already confessed. So if you confessed it, then it is gone. If you did something, let's just get real practical. If last night you did something bad, you blew it. And then this morning you woke up and you realized I blew it. And you prayed to God and you said, God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. That was wrong. Please cleanse me of that sin. If you still feel guilty right now, that is not God speaking to you. That is Satan. Because you are not guilty in the sight of God once you confess that sin. Second form of guilt that's not from God. You are not guilty if you're feeling guilty over a temptation or a feeling that you have. I've had this conversation with so many students who have come to my office. And they feel guilty inside because of some emotion or some temptation that they have. What they need to realize is that God does not hold you responsible for your feelings or your temptations. He only holds you responsible for the choices you make. A temptation does not become sin until you act on it. So moms... Moms of young kids, you have been told, treasure every moment. (laughs) But then you take your kids to H-E-B, and they fight, and they whine, and they complain, and one of them throws up on aisle three. You do not have to treasure that moment. It's okay if in that moment you feel angry. It's okay if you feel depressed. It's okay if you feel like leaving your kids and heading for the wine aisle. It's okay to feel that way. God does not hold you responsible for your feelings or your temptations. You're not guilty unless you actually leave your kids and go grab a bottle. (laughs) Students, many of you feel guilty because you're tempted by something shameful. You feel guilty because you find yourself tempted to look at at porn or or you're attracted to someone of the same sex or or you're tempted to lie or to cheat or or you're tempted to not go to breakaway on Tuesday night and you don't feel like you love God anymore and you don't know what to do with that. I want you to understand your feelings and your temptations do not make you guilty before God. Only your choices 
The problem is when we choose to feel guilty over our feelings or our temptations, then it's really easy for Satan to get us to give in to that temptation. If you already feel guilty for it, you might as well give in. So we have to remind ourselves, no, I'm not guilty for some feeling I have. I'm not guilty for an emotion I have. I'm not guilty for a temptation I have. I'm not guilty unless I choose to act on it. So reject guilt that comes from feelings or temptations. You're not guilty for that. Third, it's not guilt from God if it's based on comparison to others. This is the genesis of most parental guilt. Parents, we feel guilt because we look at other parents and it seems like they're doing it better than us. Man, look at how much time that guy spends with his kids. Look at how much better behaved her kids are. Look at that woman. She's raising four kids. She just opened her own business. She cooks every night. Her house is always clean. And now she's going to adopt an orphan and I can't even get my kids to school on time. (laughs) That is guilt from comparison and it is never from God. Never. Because God does not compare you to anyone. When God evaluates your life, it is an audience of one. It's just you. He evaluates your life, your choices, based on the capacities and callings he gave you. He doesn't compare you to other people. They're different than you. He gave them different capacities and different callings in life. God doesn't compare you to anyone. So if guilt is coming out of comparison, it is not from God. It's from Satan. Comparison is the thief of joy and the mother of guilt. You must reject it. Do not compare yourself to other people. And please remember, in this online world we live in, if you compare your real life to someone's social, Facebook, Instagram life, you will always lose. Because no one's real life is as good as their Instagram feed. There's stuff going on behind closed doors that they're not going to post there. If you compare yourself to the public perception of them, you'll always lose. Do not compare yourself to others because God doesn't compare you to others. Guilt that comes out of comparison, never from God. Fourth and finally, guilt's not from God if it's based on man-made rules. This is another common source of parental guilt because there are so many rules. Go to Barnes & Noble and you will find 10,000 books on parenting. Open up Facebook and you'll see five new articles in the last hour on good parenting. And all of these books and all of these articles, they give you so many rules. You must spank. You must not spank. You must homeschool or your kids will be ruined. You must not homeschool or your kids will be weird. You must breastfeed or your child will hate you. You must use only organic food. All of these musts, all of these rules... What you need to understand is that none of those rules are in the Bible, so they're not from God. They are all the opinions of people. And those opinions might be good advice for your family, but opinions carry no moral authority over your life. No one gets to do that. No one gets to to give an opinion into your life that carries moral authority over you. So parents, what are the rules God holds you responsible for? Well, in my study of the Bible, as a parent, I've come up with five. Five actual rules from God, and they're really simple. Number one, give thanks for your child. Let's be clear, not feel grateful for your child, because you often won't. 
but choose to give thanks, number one. Number two, love your child. Number three, provide for your child's physical needs. Number four, teach your child the word of God. Number five, discipline your child in some form or fashion when they rebel. All the details are up to you. Any other rule is a man-made opinion that does not carry moral authority over your life. And so if you're feeling guilt because you failed to live up to someone's rules in some book or some Facebook article, you need to reject that guilt. That's not from God, that's from Satan. He is weighing you down with false guilt. So if you feel guilty, what I want you to do, the key, the secret when you feel guilt is to ask yourself, is this feeling of guilt from God? Yes and only yes if it's conviction. If God is telling you, you, you broke one of my commands in scripture and you haven't yet confessed that to me. You haven't yet said you're sorry. Fix that easily. Just confess it and it's gone. Any other form of guilt is not from God, it's from the enemy. But what do you do? When you're laying on your bed at night and you just feel guilty and you can't get the guilt to go away, well, I want you to tell yourself, I want you to speak truth to yourself. You're going to speak biblical truth to yourself. Here's what you're going to say to yourself. When you feel guilty and you've identified that that guilt is not from God, you say to yourself, this guilt is not from God, it's from my enemy. I am not guilty. I am forgiven. I am perfect. I am righteous in the sight of God. Let's say that again. This guilt is not from God, it's from my enemy. I am not guilty, I am righteous, I am perfect, I am forgiven. You just repeat that over and over to yourself until you begin to believe it. Guilt, other than conviction, is not from God. It's from the evil one. And you should reject it. Don't let that enslave you. So that's the first thing that I see way down and imprison so many men and women, guilt. Second thing, fear. So many of us are chained by fear, by worry, by anxiety. It enslaves us. It keeps us up at night. So what do we do when we feel afraid? Well, the key verse, every time here, I'm going to give you a key verse. Key verse is John 14, 27. This is Jesus speaking. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Peace is the opposite of fear. Peace, Jesus says, is my gift to you. He gives you his peace. But what I want you to focus on is the end of that verse. What does he say? Do not be fearful. I want you to understand, Jesus cannot say that unless it is possible at any moment for you not to be fearful. Right? If fear was unavoidable, then Jesus couldn't say these words. Let me give you another verse. Luke 12. Do not be afraid. This is Jesus speaking. Little flock, for your father's chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Do not be afraid. Jesus can't say that to you unless it's possible to not be afraid. At any moment that you feel fear, that fear is avoidable. That's not from God. Jesus wants to give you peace. You can have his peace at any moment. Fear is never inescapable. That's the theological reality. You never need to be afraid again. But then there's the practical reality. Most of us feel fear from time to time. We struggle with fear. And I say we because I include myself in that. I wish I was this brave, confident man who never struggled with fear, but I do. 
There have been many times in my life when I have been overwhelmed by fear. I remember being in seminary and getting a Discover card bill in the mail and realizing I couldn't pay it. It's the first time in my life I'd paid my tuition bill. It was way too much for me. My job didn't cover it. And so I, was ter- I actually fell to my knees in the living room, shaking in fear over the fact that I couldn't pay this bill and was going to be in debt. I was terrified. I remember feeling fear when they wheeled my wife off to ICU after they pulled our twins out of her emergency C-section. They didn't know if she was going to make it. So they take her to ICU. They leave me with two little premature babies. What am I going to do? I remember the fear I felt at that moment. All of us struggle with fear. It's regular occurrence, especially for you in the audience who are moms. Motherhood and worry go hand in hand. Every time you log on to Facebook or read the news, someone's giving you something new to fear. Some new crisis, some new illness, some new disease, some new study that tells you all you're doing wrong. And so you feel anxious, you feel afraid. And graduates, you're about to know fear in a whole new way. Because <laughs> you're leaving the safe nest of Texas A&M and heading out in the wild world. Where no one's going to hold your hand, you're going to sink or swim on your own. Fear is a regular occurrence for all of us, so what do you do? Theological truth, you never need to be afraid, but we are. So what do you do when you feel fear? Well, two steps. My little two-step to overcoming fear. Step number one, you identify the lie driving the fear. Jesus said, do not be afraid. So every time you feel fear, you can know it's not from Jesus. Jesus isn't going to contradict himself. He's not going to say, do not be afraid, and oh, here's something to be afraid about. No, if you feel fear, that's not coming from a place of truth. It's coming from a place of deception. Fear is always born by deception, by lies. And so the first step to overcoming fear is figuring out what lie, what deception is driving this fear. Second step, once you've figured out what the lie is, you find biblical truth and use it to fight the lie. You fight the lie by memorizing and repeating to yourself a verse or a passage from scripture that refutes that lie, that speaks to that lie. So I'm going to give you a few examples here. Let's start with my fear about my Discover card bill. So I get this bill and I'm incredibly afraid, just just in terror over not being able to pay this bill. So what was the lie driving that fear? Well, the lie was I thought God had abandoned me. Here I'm going to seminary, I'm doing his work. I'm working hard. I'm not spending money on extravagances. I'm just paying tuition for crying out loud. And God leaves me high and dry. The lie that I believed was that God had abandoned me. The truth that I needed was the book of Hebrews. Chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. What do those verses tell me? Well, number one, God hasn't left me. He's not abandoned me. He's not forsaken me. He's there. He's still faithful to me. He's still good. Second, it tells me I can be content with whatever money I have. In other words, God has given me exactly how much money I need at that moment. Sure enough, two weeks later, I got an unexpected scholarship from the seminary and it covered the bill. I didn't know that was going to happen, but God did because he's faithful. I can trust him. He's going to provide all that I need. So I fight the fear by finding a truth in scripture that refutes the fear. And then I memorize it and I say it to myself over and over again. Let me give an example to you moms. The most common fear I hear out of mothers 
is that they're afraid that they're going to screw up their kids. They're afraid that they're going to do something wrong that's going to ruin their children. Maybe they're going to do something bad or they're not going to do something good. Maybe it's intentional or unintentional. Somehow their kids are going to be ruined because of them. Here's the lie behind that fear. The lie you're believing is it is within your power to ruin your children. That's the lie. You're giving yourself sovereignty in your child's life. You believe that you have the power through your good or bad deeds to ruin your child. Here's the truth you need. Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Moms, look carefully at that verse and I want you to to think to yourself, how many things is God going to work to good in the life of your child? Some things. The smart things you do. The wise things you do, the good mommy things you do, all things, including the dumb things you do, including the unwise things that you do, all the things that you do, God will work for good in your life and the life of your children. Why? Because God loves your children more than you do. They're his children first, not yours. God loves them more than you. He's more powerful than you. He's wiser than you. He doesn't need your fear or your anxiety or your constant busyness to help him out. He's got it. He's sovereign in the life of our children. And so we have nothing to be afraid of because we cannot ruin our children. It's not within our power. God did not give us sovereignty over them. He's got this. And so you memorize that verse and then you repeat it to yourself so that you can drive away the fear. So that you can remind yourself in the middle of the night when you cannot sleep because of anxiety, wait a minute. God is promising to work this situation, even the mistake I made eight hours ago, God's promised to work it out for good. Another example for you who are graduating seniors you probably have a lot of different fears going on in your life. One of the most common that I came across um, over the years, especially ministering to college students, and one that I felt, I was single when I graduated, I wasn't dating, and I feared that I would die alone. All my friends were getting married. I was in half the weddings, and yet I didn't even have a date. And I, I feared that I would die sad and alone. So what's the lie driving that fear? The lie is this. That marriage is better than singleness. I believed that lie. I needed the truth of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Here's your key verses, you who are single and struggling with that. Paul says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. Paul's point is that marriage is not better than singleness. It's just different. Singleness and marriage both have their own advantages and disadvantages. You can find contentment in either one. In other words, single men and women, the grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. It's just different grass. I want you to know that while there are many days when you look at those of us who are married and think, I sure want that, guess what? There are many days when we who are married look at you (laughs) and say, boy, (laughs) I sure wish I had that. You've got so much freedom. There's so much complication and responsibility that enters life when you get married. 
You need to understand that there are advantages to every stage of life. And so, if you die single, guess what? You didn't miss out on anything. Your life can be as joyful and full and productive and blessed as any of our lives. You must believe that truth. Repeat that truth to yourself and it will drive away the fear. So when you feel afraid, just two steps. You do the same two things every time. You identify the lie behind that fear. Figure out, why am I afraid? What am I believing? What's the assumption that maybe I have never questioned? A wrong assumption that's driving this fear. You identify the fear that's dri- or the lie that's driving the fear, and then you fight that lie by memorizing a verse or a passage that refutes it. So back to my story when they wheeled Julie away. I, I, really, I didn't know what was going to happen to her. It was not looking good. Um, so they take her off to intensive care. I've now got two twins in neonatal care that I'm going to have to raise if Julie's gone. So the only thing that I could do in that moment was when I could help anybody. I went to the little chapel there at the medical center and I sat down. I didn't have anything. So I just repeated Psalm 23 to myself because for me, that's my verse. That's my passage. I've had it memorized for decades. I just started, I put it on play, just started saying it. I have no idea how many times I quoted it. It was there for a while. Um, After 15 or 20 minutes, I started feeling better because as I quoted Psalm 23, it reminded me, God is my shepherd. Reminded me that God designed my life to be lived in green pastures beside still waters. Reminded me that God's going to lead me on right paths for his reputation's sake, not because of me. It reminded me that, yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, right now, my wife off to ICU, God is with me, his rod and his staff, they will comfort me. I remember that God loves me more than I love me. God loves Julie more than I love Julie. Julie belongs to him before she belongs to me. God's got this. And so I rehearsed truth to myself and it fought the lie that drove the fear. When you feel afraid, you identify the lie, you find the truth, you memorize it, and you put it on repeat until the fear is driven away. So we've talked about guilt. We've talked about fear. Finally, let's talk about isolation might seem odd to talk about isolation when we live in a world that is so connected. The internet really has changed everything. Any of you who are younger than, I don't know, 20, you don't understand this because you grew up with the internet. For those of us who are older, it's changed everything. I had a problem with my car, a very, very rare technical problem a few months ago, and I couldn't find anyone locally who knew what to do about it, and so I put a a call out there on the internet, and I got a response from a specialist in England, and he sent me a video walking me around the car, showing me exactly what to do. What a crazy world we live in. We're so connected with people all over the planet, and yet here's the irony of the digital age. You have more connections than you ever have, and yet more isolation than you've ever had. The irony of the digital age is that connections go up, relationship goes down. You are so busy connecting at a surface level with hundreds or thousands of friends or followers or fans on social media that you don't have the time to go really deep with a few people, face-to-face, in-the-flesh contact with people who know you and to whom you are known. And that forces you into isolation. And what I want you to understand about isolation, about being alone, is that it's, it's not just not a good thing, it's a deadly thing. Here's what the book of Hebrews tells us. Here's your verse for isolation. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. 
If you've read Hebrews 10, you know that these couple verses appear in the middle of a very scary passage that says some really scary stuff. What God wants you to understand from these verses is that in God's eyes, your relationships with other believers are absolutely essential. It's not an extra thing to tack on to life. It's how you make it through life. You must have face-to-face, in-the-flesh relationships with a few other believers who encourage you, who speak truth to you, or you're not going to make it. I've been a Christian now for 35 years. I went to seminary. I've been a pastor at Grace for more than 12 years, and yet I need Deep and authentic relationships with a few other Christian men every week in my life or I'm a dead man. I'm not going to make it. You can't make it through life in isolation. Satan will eat you for lunch. There's a fascinating picture of hell that C.S. Lewis paints in his book, The Great Divorce. I don't know how accurate it is. There's a lot we don't know in the Bible about hell. But Lewis pictures hell and he sees the condemned being burned up not by fire but by isolation. They're consumed by pride and by bitterness and by selfishness because in hell they run rampant, they run unchecked. And so Lewis pictures hell as an ever-expanding place where the condemned run as fast as they can away from everyone else. I don't know if that's accurate, but it's a good picture of the connection between evil and isolation. Satan's goal for your life is to isolate you. Because if he can isolate you, then he can deceive you. And if he can deceive you, then he can destroy you. Satan's overall game plan for your life is not very creative. How he applies it's creative, but the basic game plan is the same for all of us. He's going to isolate you so he can deceive you, so he can destroy you. And so Satan is going to whisper every excuse he can think of to keep you from connecting to other believers. He's going to whisper in, in, your, in your ear, would they even want to know you? If they actually knew what you had done, they would kick you out of there so fast. They don't like you. They're only welcoming you in because they have to. And why would you even want to spend time with them? Christians are such hypocrites. Remember when they hurt you five years? Remember when they hurt you 10 years ago? Do you really want to make yourself vulnerable to them again? Besides, you don't need any of that. You're strong. You know what you're doing. You're too busy to go chat with all those people. He's going to whisper every excuse in your ear that he can to keep you isolated because if he can isolate you, then he can deceive you and destroy you. And so my advice to you is very simple. If you want to escape the prison of isolation, you got to do whatever it takes to not do life alone. This is on you. This is your responsibility. No one can do this for you. You must choose to say, guess what? I, I'm going to do whatever. I'm not going to let, I'm not going wait, to wait for other people to come initiate with me. I'm going to do whatever it takes to not do life alone. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to find those brothers, those sisters that I need to make it through life. So moms, what does that mean for you? Well, moms, you need a village to raise your kids. You cannot do momming alone. You need other moms in your life who will speak truth to you on your dark days, who will love you, who will pray for you, who will support you. And guess what? They need you. They need you in their lives speaking truth and encouraging them. 
You must have other moms that you do life with. If you don't, moms, if you're feeling isolated, I want you to take the card in front of you, right in front of you, the pew back in front of you. It's our Connect card. I want you to give us your name and either your phone number or your email, whichever is more convenient for you, and just say, I want to connect with other moms. Put it in one of the boxes at the back of the room or give it to any of us on staff. We will help you find other moms to connect with so you're not doing motherhood alone. College graduates, what this means for you is that you need to find a church. You need to find a new church because you're leaving grace. And so here's my rule for every college graduate. You get six weeks. Whatever city you move to, I give you six weeks to try out six churches and then you're done. You settle for whichever was the best. Don't hop around for six years or Satan will destroy you. You must find a church. You get six. Try out six of them. Guess what? You're not looking for grace. There is no other grace Bible church, and that's okay because grace ain't perfect. No church is. Every church has its advantages and disadvantages. So try out six and choose the one that is the best at teaching the word of God, preaching the gospel, and loving the nations. You look for those three things, not all these other things, just those three things. You pick the best of the six, and you're done. And you build a home there. You settle into that place. You go every week. You join a small group. You begin to serve. You're not looking for a perfect church. You're looking for a solid church where you can find the fellowship you need so Satan doesn't destroy your life. Now, I do have a tool for you. If you're getting ready to graduate, if you're getting ready to leave A&M, I'd like to connect you with our alumni network. This is something we built a few years ago when we saw all of these Aggies leaving and then floundering wherever they went because they didn't know anybody. But we want to connect you with other Aggies who are out and about all over the world. If you'll register on the alumni network, just go to grace-bible.org slash alumni. Register, tell us who you are, where you're going. We'll connect you with other Aggies in your target city. So Aggies who've gone to Grace, who are plugged into churches, it will connect you so that they can invite you to their churches. They can take you to lunch. They can help you get a lay of the land. They can help you to walk with the Lord in the years to come. Really strongly encourage you graduates to do that. Connect so that we can help you to transition well. Every one of us needs people in our lives. We can't be imprisoned by isolation or we're easy targets for Satan. As you go through this life, God designed you for freedom and yet you're going to continually feel weighed down by guilt, by fear, and by isolation. What I want you to remind yourself, whenever you feel guilty, whenever you feel afraid, whenever you feel isolated, I want you to remind yourself, this isn't what God planned for me. This isn't where God wants me to remain. If you feel guilty for a moment, maybe it's conviction, you confess it, then it's gone. God doesn't want you to stay guilty. God doesn't want you to be afraid. That's never from God. God doesn't want you to be isolated. Never. He designed you for relationships. I want you to remind yourself that there is truth in the word of God that can set you free from guilt and fear and isolation and help you to live the life that God's calling you to. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you that you are a God of freedom. We thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life to set us free. We praise you that Jesus has made it possible for us to have true and lasting freedom from guilt and from fear and from isolation. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to walk in that freedom. We pray that you would help us to believe the truth of your word. 
We pray that you would help us to reject guilt when it's not from you, to, to reject fear. We pray, Lord, that we would remember scripture that would refute fear. We pray that you would help us to connect well with one another and do life together. And Lord, in this special morning, we particularly want to lift up to you all the moms and all the college graduates who are here. We thank you that you love them more than they love themselves. We thank you that you have designed them to live a life of freedom, a life free of guilt and fear, a life free of shame and isolation. We pray that that would be true for them. We pray that you would strengthen them and draw them close to you today so that they would know your peace and your joy and your freedom in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord God, for how much you love us. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. Well, college students, we love you. We pray that you'll have a great summer. May God's face shine upon you and give you peace.